You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. I'm going to carve time out of my day to worship my God and to spend with him to renew my spirit because I need, I need to be influenced by God. I want God to influence me, so I'm going to put myself in a place where I can be influenced by God. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. If only family was that easy as a 1950s sitcom, right? Man, it's never easy, is it? Welcome to Southridge. I'm excited that you are here. Looking forward to what God is going to do. But before we move on, I just need to say a big thank you to all those who served, you worked, you labored, you loved. 4,500 people packed out a stadium. Man, it's awesome, isn't it? And that's because of what God did through you. Uh, many people have asked, like, hey, what are all the details? All I know is this. We had 4,500 people in the stadium and uh, 253 volunteers. So that's incredible. Uh, on top of that, we had seven people baptized. You say, well, how many people gave their life to Jesus? Well, all I have is a video from Caitlin Wagner where she started at one end of the stadium and she took her phone all the way across on Facebook and you could just see a sea of hands. Just a sea of hands, people standing up, raise their hand, giving their life to Jesus. So that could be hundreds, if not thousands. We just got to worship God because that's why we exist, to lead people to find and follow Jesus. So there were hundreds, if not over a thousand people that found Jesus. Now we're going to help them follow him. And so we do that by loving, serving, giving, going. That's what we do. And so it's exciting to be a part of it. So big thank you to each and every one of you who helped out with that. And some of you, you came last week and you made a decision to follow Jesus. And you say, I didn't get baptized. You want to get baptized? We're all set. The water is hot. We got all the stuff ready. If you want to get baptized after service, you can do that today, as well as a special thank you on your way in. You maybe already grabbed some, but if you didn't, please, on your way out, stop and grab some ice cream. It's there for free. There's really cool little uh, uh, variety of ice cream. So you grab some on your way out and you take some and you have a good time. And uh, we're just glad that you are here. Also, I need to make a very important announcement, very important announcement today. Today, there will be no talk, none, no, and I'm serious about this. If I hear Avengers Endgame talk, I will kick you out of the church, all right? Game over, you gots to go, all right? Just setting the record stay. We clear? We're clear? Good. Got just a little matter of importance, okay? You can tell my priorities are right. I haven't seen the movie. I flew back from Chicago yesterday, and these chumps on Southwest, bunch of chumps, and uh, he's just teasing it the whole time. I was like, man, I, I will start smoking in this airplane. You'll have to kick me off or something, okay? I will do something to ground this plane so you have to get me out, all right? I was like, you need to shut it. And he's just on the intercom just dropping stuff. And I was like, I'm getting mad. I'm getting mad. And uh, so uh, today, please do not talk about Avengers Endgame. And, uh, but we're glad that you're here. Uh, so we're looking forward to God's going to do. Lots of great things happen in the church. You came at a great time. We're in a new series in, entitled My Imperfect Family. And this past week was, uh, uh, I'm German, and, and so uh, my, my side of the family all came over from Germany. And so we call my grandmother Oma, all right? It's what we call my grandmother. She's my Oma. And uh, she's 90 years young, 90 years young. Just incredible, right? Incredible. Just amazing 
And uh, so I took the whole family, packed them all up. We flew to Chicago, and it was beautiful. The weather was beautiful. Went to Wisconsin. The weather was beautiful. We left yesterday. At, uh, got up about 4.30 in the morning, uh, and, and we left. And it was a good thing we left. It was beautiful. It was sunny. And they got seven inches of snow yesterday. Seven <laughs> inches. It was 65 the day before, and then it, they got seven inches of snow. How many of y'all from the Midwest? You, you know it's just like freak weird stuff like that happens, okay? You just got to be crazy to live there. I'm like, this is nuts. I mean, people were in t-shirts the day before, and you could tell I was from California because I had gloves on, I had my scarf on, I had my thick jacket on, and then I had my beanie on. I was just bundled up, and we're walking around, and there's people from Chicago. They're just like, you know, tank tops, you know. They were like, sun's out, guns out weather, and I was like, it's still freezing, and uh, you all just from the Midwest. You just, this is nothing for you, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm a wimp from California. I like my son, and uh, that's, that's just good, so we were there, but it's cool to be around family. I hadn't seen some of them since 1998. We just, they, we got family in Tennessee. We got them in Illinois. We've got them in Chicago. Just uh, and uh, 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 Milwaukee, Wisconsin, just all over. So I hadn't seen them in a long time, and my kids got to ex- got to see stuff that they should never see of family photos, and uh, it's just wrong. Some of these family photos that people people save, and I think parents do it to torture. Uh, I'm from a big family, and so I've got lots of siblings, lots of brothers, and parents just think it's funny to put everybody in a bathtub together and take a picture. I was like, that is illegal. They will arrest you, and they will take you to prison. That is wrong, and they just think it's funny to pull out these pictures. Like, like it's not funny, and I just looked at my kids and said, y'all are so blessed that we like a filtered life, all right? Uh, you guys just never know that, that the Polaroid pictures and all the incriminating evidence and everything that we post online, it's edited, it's Photoshop, it's filtered. So my kids are safe. But the rest of us, the older generation, we know that you go to uh, grandma's house or aunts and uncles, man, they pull out the incriminating photos. And uh, it's just kind of neat to be around family. And uh, uh, it was neat because at my almost 90th birthday, my dad got up and kind of shared a little bit about our family tree. And, uh, you know, you just kind of go through the history and just all that happened. It's kind of neat to talk about the family tree. And that's what I'm entitled the message today, the family tree, is we begin looking at the family. And we're going to spend the next several weeks together looking at the family. And you may be sitting here saying, you know what? Hey, um, I didn't have the best family. I'm not in the best family. I, I, I'm feeling uncomfortable right now. Let me just put you at ease just for a second, okay? Can I do that? As you look at the Word of God, as you look at the very first family, Adam and Eve, they had two boys, Cain and Abel. And we did not name our son Cain after that Cain, all right? Our son Cain is K-A-N-E, okay? And uh, that Cain is C-A-I-N, and Cain killed his brother Abel. And that's the very first family. Very first family, right out the gate. Boom, bad stuff happened. And so you, you look and, and you think your family's messed up. No, you're not that bad. And then you don't have to go too long before you meet another family, and his name is Isaac. Isaac has two sons. There is uh, Jacob and Esau, and Esau is the older brother. Jacob is jealous of the birthright that, hey, Esau is going to get all the family uh, goods, he's going to get all the wealth, and he's going to get all the inheritance. So Jacob pretends to be Esau, puts on his clothes, and he kind of smells like Esau. Then to really seal the deal, he kills a goat, skins it, puts that goat hair on his arms, and then goes in to see his dad. And his dad says, I'm not sure. Uh, it smells like Esau. This food kind of tastes like some Esau would, would 
taste, but the voice doesn't sound like Esau and a little bit too high, a little bit too squeaky. Uh, just doesn't sound like a real man's voice. And he was like, let me touch you. And he touches the arms of Jacob and he feels that goat hair. And he's like, oh yeah, that's my son. And I did have a problem with that. Like how hairy do you got to be that you feel like a goat. I, I, anybody pet a goat recently? Like, he did not have a son. He had a Wookiee. That's what he had, all right? That is not a human. You had a Wookiee, all right? Like, how hairy? What in the world? I mean, my goodness, that's a blanket right there, all right? So Esau was just a walking blanket. And uh, so Jacob pretends he steals the birthright. Jacob has 12 children. Ten of the twelve decide that they don't like one of the brothers, so they throw him in a pit. Instead of killing, murdering their brother, they sell him into slavery. They're like, what good is he dead? Hey, let's make some money off of him. All right, so that's not a very good family. And you could go a little bit further along. You've got David. Many of us, whether you're church or unchurched, you've heard of David. David killed Goliath. David wrote the 23rd Psalm, the shepherd's psalm. David, he has a really messed up family. You say, how messed up? It's this messed up. He had two kids, and one committed incest with his sister by sexually assaulting her, and another brother that was mad that he did it went and murdered him, and the dad wouldn't do, David wouldn't deal with it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't talk about it. He just wanted to sweep that under the rug. I mean, how do, you, how do you sweep that under the rug, you know? But yet all of these families, God, God used them. I mean, think about even the family of Jesus. Jesus is born. He's doing miracles. He's healing people. And Mary and his brothers come up to him and are like, hey, Jesus, can you stop this? You need to come home and just come back to work. Be normal. Like, like walking on water. Come on, show off. Like, let, let's go back home. Build some chairs and tables. We got a furniture store. You remember Ashley. It's going to be a big brand. Come on, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's get this thing going. And that's what they, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. All right. So you may feel uncomfortable about your family, but let me just put you at ease. There are far worse families in the word of God. And so this morning, as we talk about families, you just relax a little bit. But think about this. Family on the surface, we think it's easy to define, correct? Like on the surface, when you hear the word family, you're thinking uh, typically mom, dad, 2.5 children, a cat and a dog, white picket fence in a single family home, maybe a minivan, maybe an SUV, a suburban thrown into the mix. And, and that's kind of our idea, but statistics now say that that's only 20% in North America. That's the average family. You see, family's different today. And if I were to ask you what your definition of family, you would come up with a myriad of different definitions because some of you, you grew up in a family that didn't have mom or dad, didn't have legal guardian, you'd foster care, or, or you live with the aunts and uncles, you hopped around, and, and you had a very, what we would call dysfunctional family, a very broken home, very, very difficult home. Not everybody had, a, had, had an easy childhood, and some of you, you had to get a job, not because you wanted money, but because you had to help pay rent and buy milk and bread and, and, and feed the family. That was your story. Your story is very difficult. So when we talk about family, there's a, it's, it's a mixed bag, right? So I know people, I ask them about family, and they'll say, you know what? The people I work out with, that's my family. The people I work with at my job, that's my family. So when we talk about family, it's pretty broad, isn't it? It's not just cookie cutter. This is a broad topic. But here's my definition of family. It's a place where you are fully known and loved. That's family, isn't it? You see, my brothers and my sisters, we don't get along. There's seven of us in total. We, we, kids, we do not get along. 
But yet, you know what? Push comes to shove. You mess with one, you mess with all. That's just kind of, you know, it's just how it goes down, right? That's just how it is. Why? Because we're Ohana, we're family, and so we're, we stick together. And so you have a community or you have friends, and you may say, your friends, that's, that's kind of my family. The people you work with, kind of your family. And uh, what, so we understand it on that level. It's a place where we're known, where people know our flaws. They know our issues, and they love us regardless of that. So that's when we go through the series. That's our definition in mind, okay? So as we go through that, I want to go to and uh, go to a very famous passage of scripture, Joshua 24. It's in the Old Testament, Joshua 24. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn there. If not, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. That's our gift to you. You can take that, or it'll pop up on the screen in just a moment. But when it comes to family, today it kind of seems like because of the area we live in, there's a lot of tension on how many hours you've got to work and how much you're gone and how much you're stuck in traffic. So it just kind of seems like when you get home, we're really tired or we're worn out to really engage, right? And so we're a little bit more passive. And so it's hard to see the value in investing in our family. We get it in a relationship, but when we think of the word family and investing that time, it kind of seems like, why would I want to do that? It's just, ah, I don't have a lot of emotional capacity to give. But let me ask you a question. If you were to plant a garden this morning and you were to take some soybean seeds, you plant those, what would you expect to receive? Soy. Soy, right? It's not a trick question. You're like, oh, it's a trick question. Don't talk about it in game and don't answer whatever else he asked me, all right? And uh, no, no, it's not a trick question. And uh, if I were to uh, give you some, uh, some, some seeds to plant corn, what would you expect? You would expect corn. corn. Yeah, yeah. Now, if I were to give you some seeds to plant a watermelon, you would expect a watermelon. Now, you would think on the surface that if you don't plant anything, you're going to get nothing. But that isn't true, is it? It's not true, is it? If you plant nothing, what do you get? Weeds. Weeds. And some of us, we can't grow anything, but we can grow weeds. We really do have a green thumb. We have the best weeds out of anybody. Come over to my house. I got all kinds of weeds. Some of it I need to mow. Some of it I grow. And some of it I, never mind, never mind. We don't want to, oh, I just wanted to know who my audience was. I know who's a little bit more redeemed than some of the others, all right? A little bit more sanctified, all right? We need to pray for some of you. Some of you knew where I was going. Man, some of you act ashamed. Yeah, we know you. I saw you getting out of a hot box. You're out of your car. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was not just coffee steaming. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. We can have a little bit of fun in church. A little bit of fun in church. Some of you are like, it's legal, Pastor. It's totally legal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay to have fun. I've been gone, and I haven't slept much. So it, whatever comes out, hopefully God uses it to bless you. Um, but Joshua 24. And some of us, when it comes to our families, we think if we just kind of don't do much, we're going to get something. No, you're going to get weeds. You're going to get weeds. If you, if you are not intentionally invested into the family, you're not going to get the family that you want. So we're in Joshua 24, and Joshua is speaking. He's the great leader. He took over after Moses, a great man of God. And Joshua, he's going he's gonna to gather the leaders of the nation of Israel. The Bible says he gathers the nation together. And this wasn't the entire nation because when Moses delivered the nation out of Israel, they estimated it was between two and a half to three million people. So he didn't gather two and a half to three million people. This is 80 years later. So the crowd would have been so much larger. So he gathered all the leaders, which represented all the 12 tribes represented. So it's still a large gathering of people. And they all come to a place called Shechem. And they all come to this place and they all gather there. And Joshua is giving what would be his final words to the group of people. 
and he quotes a verse that many of us, if you have what we would call a Christian home, may have this verse on a plaque or on a picture somewhere in your home. And we're going to read it. Beginning in Joshua 24. Notice, if you would, verse 14 says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors' worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whoever, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, will you help me finish it? We will serve the Lord. Joshua's speaking. He's saying, hey, I've gathered you all together. And he says, guess what? It's come to a decision point. It's come to a decision that you need to make a choice. The nation of Israel always struggled with what we would call idolatry, which means they worshiped a bunch of idols. Now, today we're not as familiar with idol worship as some other continents are. We have a little bit. Sometimes you'll, you'll drive certain parts of San Jose, and you might see a Buddha statue, or you might see a different statue that somebody may be kneeling or praying towards. In this culture, they would have a moon god. They'd have a sun god. They would have a god of harvest. They would have a god of war. They would have a god of rain. They would have a fertility god. They had multiple gods, and what would happen was they borrowed some from Egypt. Some of them they were supposed to get rid of, but they kind of kept it, kept it on the down low. And then they had the gods of the new country, of Babylonian gods. The Babylonian gods, they would take their children and offer their children as a burnt sacrifice. That was, that was what the Babylonians would do. It's just horrible, horrible. And they were starting to, that practice was creeping in to the nation of Israel. And Joshua is saying as his final words, his final words, he's saying to the nation, Hey, you guys can do what you want to do. As the leader of Israel, I can only say for my house. My house is going to serve the Lord. And my prayer for you this morning, whether you are in a relationship, whether you are starting a family, whether you are in a family or you hope to have a family, I pray that you and I would make the decision that Joshua made. Hey, y'all can do what you want. You can go wherever you want. But as for me and my house, this is the decision I'm going to make. It's not just a prayer on the wall. It's going to be real with us. We're not just going to hope that we get some corn, hope that we get some good crops. No, no, we're going to be intentional about planting good seed. We're going to be intentional about planting these things. And that's what Joshua is saying. But I love a simple fact that Joshua is 110 years old and the nation of Israel comes out to listen to him. Our culture doesn't respect age. Have you noticed that? Our culture just doesn't. We have even, even the engineers here in the Silicon Valley. Once you get to a certain age, they're looking for somebody a little bit younger, a little bit cheaper, mostly cheaper to take your spot. That's just kind of what they're looking for. Somebody a little bit more that doesn't mind not, not ever sleeping, not ever having weekends off or holidays off. You know, just, they just want drones is what they want, right? And uh, you still have a little self-respect where you're like, no, I'm at least going to get home by 7.30 or 8 o'clock. You know, I'm at least going to get holidays off. And so it seems like in our culture, it's really tough to be intentional about these things. It's really tough to say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose this. It's really tough to invest and have that influence that you want. Culture now doesn't honor age, but yet in this time, they did. They honored Joshua's age. And that's amazing that he still carried the influence. Because what is it really? It's influence. He didn't hold a knife to anybody's throat. He said, hey, let's gather the people together. And they followed. Why? Because he still had influence. This morning, I want to talk about influence. If you are taking notes because note takers are history makers and our journals are five bucks on the way, $10, $10. I did that one time and they said, no, they're 10. Everybody got them for five. Your discount was way better than, than you thought it was. And so they're $10. Get yourself a life journal. Take notes because we're going to be talking about influence. And we all know influence. We understand influence. 
there's a family that's been uh, very influential in our nation, and uh, they've had uh, presidents, they've had assassination, they've had scandals, affairs, they've had uh, uh, arrests made. And when I say this family, uh, you'll know it's the Kennedy family. They're just an a influential family. Whether you like them, whether you dislike them, it is irrelevant. They've had influence in our country. Now, another family that really is going to rub you the wrong way and really make you mad and really make you want to talk about Endgame is the Kardashians. You know, that's another family that's had a lot of influence, right? I mean, they've had a lot of pop culture influence. They, they, whether you like it or dislike it is irrelevant. They have influence. You ask people today that are on the socials, and they'll say, yeah, their socials are, are just on point. They have influence. A fictional family, Bart Simpson and the Simpsons, have influence and it's amazing. They don't even exist, but they influence all the 90s kids in the house. I mean, come on. I mean, so many of us don't know how much they've influenced us. I see people that are like going like this, hmm, you know. That's from Bart Simpson, all right? That's where you got that. There's so many little cultural mores that we have, and it's all from the Simpsons. They have influence. But let me ask you a question. Do you have influence? And some of us say, yeah, I got influence. I tell my kid what to do, and he does it. That's not influence. That's control because he's afraid of you. I was talking to my cousins, and they were like, yeah, how do you raise your kids? And I was like, yeah, we do the whole, like, uh, like timeout thing, and we do this other thing. And they were, like, laughing. We were all laughing. I was like, yeah, right? Growing up, it wasn't a timeout. It was a knockout. It was like, I will punch you out, man. You're going to do what I say, you know? And I was like, now I live in the suburbs, so we have to have code for when we discipline our kids. You know, we're in the store, and we have code, and our kids just sit up. And people are like, I didn't know kids obey when you say lucky charms, you know? And it's just like, yeah, it's code. You want some lucky charms? No, no, you know? And I was like. It's, it's a double. It's I win both ways. I don't have to buy the sugary cereal. And then it's discipline, all right? So you got to think. Come on. Got to be smart, all right? And that's why we're doing the series. I'm going to be dropping these little nuggets of wisdom. Write that down. Lucky charms. Yeah, okay. Got it. Thanks, Pastor. I'm here for you, all right? Now, so we, we understand that, hey, when it comes to influence, there's a difference between exercising influence and exercising control. See, Joshua had influence. Yet influence. If there's ever a time that it seems like we're losing influence, it's now. The church is losing influence. We look at Christians, we've lost influence. We're kind of a joke. We're kind of a, uh, something to mock. We don't have the influence that we once had. My wife and I, we get called pretty often. And I, and I wish it wouldn't happen like this, but it, it just happens. And, uh, and, and people will call us and say, hey, can you talk to my son or my daughter or my friend and, and I step back, and it really gets me when it's parents who call me, parents that are much older than me. And they'll say, hey, can you help me with my kids? And, and, I, and they're not calling me because they think I'm smart. They're not calling me because, oh, you're a pastor. No, they've been calling my wife and I way before we ever were pastors. It's just, for whatever reason, people just call us and say, hey, can you help us? And then my wife and I, we didn't understand it at first, but then we finally realized what it is. You see, these parents have lost influence over their own children. So now they need help. They need somebody that still has some influence, that can still help them say, hey, that path you're headed down, you don't want to go down that path. Hey, what you're about to do, that person you're about to get with, hey, that job you're about to do, hey, whatever this decision you're about to make, this, you don't want to make this decision. They have, parents have lost 
influence. And we today have lost our influence. You see, in the Gospels, it talks about the church being salt and light, that if the salt has lost its savor, it's no good. It means to be thrown out, and people will trample it under their feet. You see, today, churches don't have any influence. Nobody looks at the church and says, man, they're influential. No, they, they don't see that, and we've lost it. Why? Because families aren't influential. I mean, if I can't even influence my own children to do right, I struggle getting my dog to do right. Come on. I mean, it's just tough, right? So when it, when it comes to influence, this is a tough subject when it comes to influence. And so we're going to look at it. You see, Joshua had influence. Joshua had influence. And because Joshua had influence, guess what? Joshua was able to speak candidly and with courage. See, when you don't have influence, you can't speak candidly and with courage. And so you hold back on saying what needs to be said. You see, sometimes you're the type, you're like, well, I'll just say it, whatever I mean, bless God, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to tell them. Yeah, and nobody's listening to you. Matter of fact, they're just bothered by it. It doesn't, it doesn't have the effect that you want it to have. But when you can say something and somebody listens, you have influence. Joshua was able to say something, and the nation of Israel responds and says, yes, we want what you have, Joshua. We want to do what you're doing, Joshua. And so Joshua still had influence. And I want to talk about influence this morning and ask, how is your influence? You say, what do you mean, how is my influence? Because too often I think we've lost her influence. You see, my Oma, she walked into that room uh, where we had the surprise birthday, and there were her four children, 17 grandchildren, and 22 great-grandchildren. She had influence because they all still wanted to see her. They still wanted to come back home. They still wanted to celebrate her. They still wanted to honor her. And some of you have the hardest time even talking to your parents on Father's Day or on Mother's Day or on a holiday because they've hurt you so bad. There's so much distance. They have lost all influence. And some of you, it's the same with your children. You're saying, I can't talk to my kids. I haven't talked to my kids in years. I don't reach out to them. They don't want anything to do with me. Why? Because we've lost influence. Take it broader. If families have lost influence and families make up the church, then the church has lost influence. This is why people, when you say, hey, I'm going to church, they're like, why would you do that? It's a perfectly good Sunday. Why don't you golf? Why don't you go on a boat? Why don't you go on a picnic? Why don't you just stay home and watch Netflix? Or why don't you go watch Endgame for the third time? Like, that's just a great idea. Go watch it three times. It's good for you. It'll help you grow spiritually. And uh, it, it's just one of those things where you're just like, they don't get it. Why? Because why? The church has lost influence. They don't understand that, wait a minute, I'm going to carve time out of my day to worship my God and to spend with him to renew my spirit because I need, I need to be influenced by God. I want God to influence me, so I'm going to put myself in a place where I can be influenced by God. And if we don't see the value in it, guess what? They don't see the value in it. So what happened? How do we get to that point? That's a great question, right? So how do we lose our influence? And I'll tell you, it's really simple. We lose our influence because of one thing, inconsistency. Inconsistency. Because inconsistency diminishes influence. Think about it for a second. You ever, and I think we've all been a parent, if you're a parent or in a relationship, if you're a human being, you've, you've, you've promised people stuff and never delivered. I won't ask you to raise your hand because everybody should raise their hand on that one, that you've promised something and not delivered. But when you habitually do that, guess what? You lose influence because you're inconsistent. What is the most inconsistent group of people in the country? Jesus followers. Because we say one thing on Sunday, but guess what? On Monday, we live something totally different. We talk totally different. We change the way we walk. We change the way we think. We change the things that we do. Why? Because optional thinking leads to optional living. And some of us think that Christianity is an optional way of living. And it starts with your thinking. No, no. Who I am today is who I am tomorrow. And who I am tomorrow is going to be the same. It's consistency. Some of you, it's not that you need to do more it's you just need to be consistent at what you do. You just need to be consistent. 
And many times we think to make our life better, I need more of something. I just need more money. I need more house. I need more cars. I need more clothes. That's not what's going to make your life better. What's going to make your life better is you get consistent at the things you know you need to do. I need to eat right. I need to save my money. I need to go to the gym. I need to study a little bit more. I need to spend more time with my kids, more time with my wife. If we just got consistent with those, we know life would be better. Like nobody has to stand on a stage and preach that to us. We know that. This is nothing new. You're all way smarter than this point. But here's the problem. We struggle with consistency. We struggle with the Monday through Friday just doing the same thing. And you know why? Because everybody celebrates when we start. Everybody celebrates the start. Nobody's there in the middle. I was listening to Pastor Stephen Furtick. He was preaching on this point. He said, look, when you start saving money, everybody's like, man, you've been saving money. You've got 10 grand in the bank. Man, good job. Good job. But nobody 20 years later is like, hey, how's the saving going? Still, oh, man, good job. You're saving. Hey, 15 years go by. Oh, you're still saving. Hey, man, yeah, excellent. You got 2.3% interest. Yeah, that's great. Nobody does that. When you start a diet, everybody's like, man, you started a diet. You're looking good. Yeah, yeah, look at that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you look good. Nobody, when you start, that's what they do. But as you consistently look good, they're like, I don't like you no more because you always look good. Then, then it turns. It turns, right? Because why? We always like to celebrate what is new and noteworthy. And because we only want to celebrate what is new and noteworthy, many of us, we're constantly starting and stopping, starting and stopping, starting and stopping because we live for the applause that we started something. Because we like it. Everybody's there, right there when we start. That's why we honor the big things. Oh, 40 years of marriage, that's great. How about the person that's at year seven? Come on. Year seven's pretty difficult. I don't know. There's something about seven years of marriage. If you make it past seven years, that's a big deal. They used to say it was five. And my wife and I were like, can we make it for seven? I don't know. You got a gun? I was just like, yeah, this could be bad. Just want to make sure you haven't gotten a gun. Then we'll be all right. We'll make it, you know? And it's just one of those things. We don't believe in divorce, but maybe murder is kind of on the table, all right? You know, it's one of those things where when it comes to marriage, some days you're like, I don't know if I can make it. Nobody's there at year seven saying, yay, year seven. No. They're there at the 10, the 15, the 20, the 25, 30, and 50. But where's the consistency? You see, that's where we struggle with that day in and day out, day in and day out. Hey, today I'm going to follow God. Today I'm going to worship God. Today I'm going to do right. Today I'm going to walk in light. Today I'm going to walk in righteousness. Today I will love my spouse. Today I will love my kids. It's not sexy. It's not glamorous to keep doing it day after day after day. But I'm telling you, that's why we've lost our influence because we're not consistent anymore. You see, when you are consistent, people give you control. You say, what are you talking about when I'm consistent? People give you You know this. You worked at a place. All of a sudden, you show up early. You stay late. The boss comes. He says, man, you do such a good job on every project. I'm going to promote you. What did he do? Because you're consistent, he gives you more control. He gives you the key to the building. He gives you a company credit card. What is that? That's control. You understand this. It works in the business place. Some of you are worried with your spouse. Guess what? Earn some trust in the relationship, and she won't put a little geothermal tracker on your phone to make sure who you with. All right? Some of us are like, she don't trust me. I don't trust you. You don't trust yourself. Come on. Don't get mad like she's crazy. Get consistent with these things. You do it with your kids. Your kids are like, hey, Dad, can I take the car? Absolutely not. You've wrecked the last four. Like, why am I going to give you another one? Are you kidding me? Come on, Dad, you can trust me. No, I can't. No, I can't. That's why I took the door off your room, and that's why I put bars on your window. I cannot trust you. There's, there's, I can't. The ankle bracelet is not from the popo. I bought that, and I put it on you. That's for me. That's for me. Because you know you can't trust them. But the moment you can trust them, all of a sudden you start giving them more control. God does the same with you. 
God does the exact same. He that's faithful in that which is least is faithful in that which is much. God says, hey, how are you going to steward this opportunity that I'm going to give you? Excellent. You did a good job. I'll give you more. You see, the blessing of overcoming a challenge, guess what, is you get a bigger challenge. That's the way it works. You go to the gym, you work out, man, you hit a PR of 275, guess what you get to do next time? You get to go 285. Man, that's the way it works. You say, man, I made it 10 years of marriage. Nobody's saying, okay, good, and then you shake hands, you separate, and it's all good. No, 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 no. You got 50 more to go. Come on now. You see why? Because when it comes to consistency, that's where we struggle. That's where life gets difficult. That's where the Christian faith rubber meets the road. It's that today I will wake up and I will pray. Today I will wake up and I will spend time with my God. It is today that I'm going to do the right things. You see, you don't need to, to, to be worried about all these big things. You just need to be consistent. One person has wisely said in Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. And I know it's a proverb, not a promise. But I like what somebody told me. They said, train or feel the pain. Train or feel the pain. You see, I am training my children to act a certain way. And then when we get to around family or get around company, then you're like, hey, if you will behave, I will give you a Lamborghini. I will give you $100. You know how you get around the family? Like, we're going to grandma's. Here's an iPad. Here's a cell phone. All these things. Why, what are we doing? We are training them. We're training them. We're training them. So then... We need to know that, guess what? What am I training them to do? How am I training them to behave and perform? So we need to say, hey, am I being consistent? You see, Joshua, here's a man that was consistent. There was no issues. I was in Chicago, and I went to uh, D.L. Moody's church. Now, D.L. Moody, I got to go back, okay? In the 1800s, he was a famous evangelist. At that time, he would preach around the world, and he would preach to very large crowds of thousands and thousands of people, kind of like what we did on Sunday, except he wouldn't advertise it. He showed up in London, England, and 10,000 people showed up, and he preached Jesus to them, and they got saved, and they would start churches. That's D.L. Moody, Dwight Lyman Moody. Well, he was from Chicago, and so he would work in the inner poor. There was a neighborhood, and it was called uh, the, uh, it was Hell's Neighborhood or something. That, that was the name of it. So he would go there because you couldn't go to church unless you bought a pew. So he would buy pews at churches, and he would fill it with kids. That's what he would do. Well, nobody liked what he was doing, so they would kick him out of all the churches. They would say, no, no, you can't bring these ruffians in there and this is 1860s and he would do this so he was a wealthy shoe salesman and so finally he quit selling shoes and he said I'm gonna start my own church so he started the uh, D.L. Moody Memorial Sunday School Church that's what he started well today it still stands 3600 seat auditorium it's the original building from 150 years ago original wooden seats thank God that we have padded ones those are wooden people still meet 3600 people they still meet here's the thing there's no scandals. There's no issues. The church still stands, still full. They're still preaching about Jesus. Why? They still have influence 150 years later. Don't you want to have that? D.L. Moody is long dead and gone. A lot of people don't even know who D.L. Moody is, but yet D.L. Moody, when he would preach, Abraham Lincoln would show up. Ulysses S. Grant would show up. They would sit on the platform with this man. Here was a man that influenced presidents, and here's a man that carries a lot of influence, but yet that man no longer here, but yet his influence lives on. I want to be the person that years from now, when Micaiah Irma is dead and gone, my influence carries on. The legacy carries on. That Not that it's about me, but that there's something still there. You want to know that your children are still following God. You want to be able to say, as for me and my house, we will follow God. As for me and my house. But here's the thing. We get mixed up. Do you know the word house is not what you and I are thinking? 
We're thinking the word house. That's my 2.5 children, my cat and my dog, and that's my wife, and that's my car, and that's my minivan or whatever, and my boat, and that's what it's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. The word house is a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is totally different definition than what you and I are used to. This Hebrew word means more than just immediate family. This Hebrew word meant so much more. See, it's bayeth is the Hebrew word, which means not just house, but it meant generational. Let me help you out. It's not, he was not saying my family. He was saying my generations. He was saying more. It means generation or tribe or clan. You see, Joshua was a leader of a tribe. There were 12 tribes. He said, y'all 11 tribes, guess what? Y'all do what you want to do. As for me and my house, he wasn't just speaking about his wife and his kids. He was saying, as for my tribe, my generations, we're following Jesus. Where is a mom or a dad or a single person or a man or a woman who says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is going to go generations. This is going to go beyond me Jesus will be king in this place we will follow Jesus we will go to church we will love the lost we will love the poor we will serve we will minister because as for me and my house that's what we do it's bayeth it's generational it outlived Joshua that's why you can turn over to a whole nother book and they're still talking about Joshua's descendants as they're still following Jesus I pray that after you are dead and gone and I hope you live a long life I hope you live longer than 90 years old and I I pray that even beyond that, you can look back and see children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that love Jesus and they have influence in their community. And they are not somebody that people look at and say, that person's inconsistent. Starting stuff, stopping stuff, starting stuff, stopping stuff. No, that person I can follow. That person I can get control. But maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, Pastor? Yeah, I'm inconsistent. So what do I do? Because we're all guilty. I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're all guilty of being inconsistent, one way or another. We've all messed up, and I don't want to leave us there. But here's what's so awesome. You see, inconsistency diminishes influence, but intentionality restores influence. Intentionality. Intention. What's your intention? You see, we live in a world where we don't have a lot of intention. I could say it like this. What is the values of your home? What does your home stand for? What do you stand for? Today, we live in a world that says, hey, guess what? Don't stand for anything. And if anybody else is standing for something, you pull them down. And the people that start standing up, everybody's taking shots at them. Can I tell you something? The leader is the most lonely person because you are saying, I will stand out. I will be different. I will be a a person that steps out from the crowd. And that person is always marked. That person is always the one that's torn down. But if you can stand that, guess what? You will have a legacy. You will be able to have that, 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 that person that has influence. See, intentionality restores influence. You say, what kind of intentionality? When you declare, this is what we're going to do. Joshua was intentional. He was intentional about it. May we take a picture that's in our homes and say, that is my intention for this home. And maybe you list out what intention looks like. That you say, our intention is every Sunday we go and worship God. That's just what we do. That, hey, before we break bread at dinner time, we grab hands and we pray over the meal. We can't do it for breakfast or lunch, but we will have one meal as a family. Whoever your family is, you say, let's link arms and let's give God thanks for the meal, the strength that he gave for us. What is your intention? Is your intention that you say, guess what? I will be a consistent person, not just a better person, just be consistent and better will follow. 
You see, many of us, we think I gotta be better, gotta be better, gotta be better. No, 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 just be consistent. Your husband just wants consistent. Your wife just wants consistent. Your children just want consistent. They can't deal with this, this, always, always this. They need consistency. Are we consistent? And it starts by being intentional. When we say, I'm gonna be intentional with my time, the time I invest in my kids. I'm amazed. We're gonna talk in a short life group about TechWise family because technology is stealing meaningful moments away from our lives. The machines we hold in our pockets are robbing us of moments. And it was designed to capture moments and it's destroying moments. How many good meals have gone cold because we had to take a daggum picture of it? And then the chef just sitting there just thinking, would you eat the meal? Would you just eat it? How many sunsets can you just enjoy without having to post it? Don't get me started on all the dresses and don't get me started on your coffee at Starbucks. I've seen Starbucks before. It's not new. We don't need to see a picture of it. But yet we are robbing ourselves of these moments because we feel like we've got to have this machine and getting intentional with our time, with our talk. Where's the intentionality in our life? But I love it. Joshua, he sums it up. We're talking about our family tree. And Joshua, he says at the end of this passage, he takes him, he says, okay, you guys made this promise. They said, we made this promise. And the people said to Joshua in verse 24, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them the decrees and the laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up under an oak near the holy place of the Lord. He set it up under a tree. He set it up under their family tree. Where's that memorial place? Where's that tree that you say, hey, this is where I set this up. This is where, this is that place where we remember. My Oma still has that family home that her and her husband bought three months before he passed away. Yeah, that's her legacy. They bought a home. Shortly after they moved into the home, she had five children. The oldest was running in the back alley. We don't know nothing about a back alley here. He's running in the back alley there in the Midwest. Got hit in a, by a car and died. Four months later, her husband gets sick, goes to the hospital. He dies. Within four months, she has a brand new home and two deaths in the family. At that moment, you would say, this God thing ain't working out. If there was a time to be inconsistent, it was that time. But can I tell you, though, that was the hardest, darkest moments. Her pastor came over that night as her children were in bed because my dad, who was eight years old, did not know that his dad was dead. And my Oma had to go through the agonizing process of how do I tell my kids when they get up to grab cereal in the morning, when they think it's just a normal day, when they get up to go and get their breakfast, to go get their little bowl of cereal with their little smiles and wiping the sleep out of their eyes, how do I tell them, daddy's not coming home? And it's at that moment, nobody would fault her for being inconsistent. And her pastor came over and said, Gisla, her name's Gisla, you open that Bible and you find every verse that's a promise to widows. You find every verse that's there for the fatherless. You find every promise from God that specifically speaks to your situation. And you stand on that and you stay consistent with that promise. And it'll never fail you. And at 90 years old, when she walked into that room and she was surrounded by her kids, her great-grandkids, and her friends and her family, though she went through all the hell and all the pain that this world can throw at her, she could stand and say, guess what? God is good this morning and he's good in your life. Be consistent. My Oma's 90 years old and she has the influence of a Joshua. 
I can't tell you how many people she's written letters and prayers and how much she's invested into this house. Oh, you don't know, when we planted the church, I planted this thing in debt. I was $12,000 in the hole when we planted this church. You say, who was paying? My Oma out of her social security was sending me checks. You are sitting here because of a 90-year-old woman out of her social security says, I believe in that place. I believe in that place. I believe in you. 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 And I believe they're going to fill that place. I believe in it. I believe in it. And I'll give everything I have. I'll move in with my kids. I'll let go of my house. She sold her house to her son-in-law. Just so why? Because she said, I believe in something bigger. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Where's your dedication? Where's your commitment this morning? Oh, you had a rough morning? Excuse me. Oh, you don't feel like going to church? Excuse me. You don't feel like loving God? Excuse me. Life is difficult, but you don't give up. You don't quit. You keep loving your spouse. You keep loving your family. You keep loving your Jesus because he's never failed you. He'll never fail you. He'll never leave you. He'll never abandon you. He's always there. He's steadfast forever and ever. He's always there. Somebody put your hands together and celebrate with me this morning. Everybody stand. God is so good. He's so good. Look around at the testimonies and just see how good our God is. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.